Tonight's passage is probably one of my favorites. Uh, you know, we love it when God responds, and even with a little bit of humor involved. And so often in our Christian walk, it's, you know, we're waiting on the Lord, we're waiting on the Lord, we're waiting to see God do something. Well, tonight we're going to see God do something incredible. And uh, it's one of the greatest passages in Scripture. Uh, I hope you're ready for it. And uh, I, I, I actually, can't, maybe I should just read it and then sit down and be done. But uh, that would be no fun. But it, it, it speaks volumes just by itself. So I'm going to give you the, my, uh, my insight on it as well. Uh, but it really is an amazing, amazing chapter of Scripture. And just to kind of bring us all up to date so we know where we're at here. When we started 1 Kings chapter 17, you remember the prophet Elijah came to uh, Ahab who was the king of Israel. Remember, Israel is now, Ahab is the king over the ten northern tribes. The two southern tribes have separated. They're, they're called Judah. So the nation Israel is kind of split at this point. And Ahab, Elijah the prophet comes to Ahab and he promises that there's going to be no rain uh, unless it's at his word. And naturally that would be a problem because Ahab had started worshiping Baal. And Baal was the, uh, was the god of the weather, the god of the sky. He was often depicted with a thunderbolt, meaning lightning or, or fire from heaven in his hand. Uh, so he, he, he sets all this up and he says there's going to be no rain. Well, obviously when the drought began, Elijah had to kind of take off, he had to get out of town because he wasn't a real popular guy at that time. So he takes off and he goes and he hides uh, by the, by the, by the uh, brook. Uh, 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 I the name of it. What was it? Cherith, uh, Cherith, by the book Cher- Brook Cherith, and uh, the Lord starts working in his life there. And if you remember from our last study together, the Lord didn't give Elijah all of the steps at once. He, he unfolded everything one step at a time, and I talked about how he does that in our life too. You know, we'd like to know what's it all going to look like, you know, what we're going to read tonight. That's what you almost wish Elijah could know that ahead of time, but he couldn't. It was one step at a time. And, and now we're going to get to see Elijah do something incredible. So he goes to the brook, and then he moves over to Zarephath to the widow's house. And remember, he had to sustain. He asked the widow for some food and some and she said, I only have a little bit of flour. And he sustained her uh, until the drought was going to be over. The Lord sustained her and he, she fed him. And then uh, remember, the Lord told uh, Elijah to go back to Ahab. And on the way back, he ran into Obadiah because Obadiah and Ahab had split up. They were looking for water to be able to feed the cattle so the cattle could drink so they wouldn't die. And uh, Elisha told Ahab, or told Obadiah, he said, go tell Ahab I'm here to see him. And Obadiah said, what are you, crazy? I'm not going to go tell Ahab that. He's going to kill me. He's been looking all over for you. He's, been, he's, he's made everybody swear they don't know where you are. And if I, and if I see you and the Lord's Spirit takes you somewhere, I'm going to get killed over this. I'm not doing that. And Elijah says, no, no, I'm going to go see Ahab today. When we left off last time, Elijah had come to see Ahab, and we're going to kind of pick up there in verse 17 of chapter 18. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? You can tell they're not very friendly. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel for 400, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So the two come face to face. Uh, Ahab believes Elijah is a troubler of Israel. He believes all of Israel's problems are based on Elijah. And the problem is that Elijah prayed and there was no rain. So now all of this is now put on, on Elijah. And Elijah says, no, 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 I'm not the problem. You're the problem. You ever notice how sometimes in life we get a skewed outlook? 
We, we think that everybody else is the problem, you know, and, and we never want to really look inward and say, well, what, what really is the problem? Elijah told him what the problem is. You're, you're the problem. You're the one. Uh, you're the one that's worshiping Baal. You've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have now followed the Baals. So uh, just, just before we go any further, that's a good thing to remember. If everywhere you go there's a problem, you might be the problem. If, if you have a problem at every job that you go, you go to, if you have a problem with every boss that you work for, if, you have a, if, if there's always this drama surrounding you, you might really want to take a look inside and go, am I the one causing this? Am I the one making this problem? Because the natural reaction is to point our finger and say, I'm the victim. They're the problem. But oftentimes, like in this case, Ahab's going, you're the problem, Elijah. You prayed that it wouldn't rain. Now all of us are going hungry because there's a drought. And Elijah goes, no, no, the problem is you. You're not serving the Lord God who provides the rain. You're not serving the Lord God who brings the rain, who provides for your needs. Instead, you've gone and served Baals. You've gone and served other gods. But, a lot, but Ahab doesn't see that. His mind has become warped. And all he's seeing is that everybody else is the problem and not him being the problem. So I like it. Uh, Elijah says this. He says, send, gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 400 and the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Verse 20, so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and he gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Now this is going to be interesting because he hasn't told them exactly what's going to take place yet. He says, go get everybody together. We're, we've, we've got a problem. And the problem in the nation right now is some of the people are serving Baal. They think they're serving the Lord. We've got a group of people that really don't know who they're serving. And you, you Ahab, you and Jezebel are taking these prophets of Baal and these prophets of Asherah. You're feeding them at your table. You're, you're, you're disregarding the, the God of the Jehovah God, Yahweh God. And we're going to solve this problem once and for all. I'm, I'm going to show you who God is. And look what he says in verse 21. Elijah came to all the people he's going to address all the people and he said this how long will you falter between two opinions if the lord is god follow him but if baal follow him but the people answered him not a word elijah addresses the people he opens up with how long will you falter between two opinions that word falter, it means to hop. And it's used, sometimes it's used for like a person standing on one leg and then hopping to another leg. It's also used to describe a bird that's jumping from tree limb to tree limb. It's like you're just, you're, you're, today you're serving Baal, tomorrow you're serving Jehovah God. Today you're, you're just bouncing back and forth. Now I want you to notice there's three, groups of, there's three groups of people here. There's one prophet of the living God. His name would be Elijah. There's a whole bunch of prophets of Baal. And then there's a whole bunch of people who really don't know what they're doing. You see, if you were to ask them, I don't doubt for a moment, they would say, oh yeah, we're Christians. Well, Christ hadn't come yet, but we're, we're, follow, we're serving God, but we're also serving Baal. That's our culture. That, that's the culture that we live in. That's the culture that our king created. So we're, we're, we're both. We really are. And Elijah calls out right away, hey, pick a side. Who, who are you serving? Are you serving God or are you serving Baal? How long will you falter? How long will you hop between two opinions? And here's my concern with that. Because just like Baal worship had been part of their culture, I think as Christians today, there's a whole lot of people, and certainly I wouldn't ever say it's any of us because we all know better. We're in church on Thursday night. But there's a whole lot of times where Christians are hopping between God and the world. They're bouncing back and forth. Worship. What, what is it that you're worshiping? Well, on Sunday morning, I'm worshiping God. Well, on Saturday night, I'm worshiping a different God. 
You see, oftentimes we have to be careful. We have to be willing to look and say, really, what is the thing, the person, who is it that I'm worshiping? How long will you falter between two opinions? Sometimes it's the worship of a sin. There's a sin in my life or a sin in your life, and you're bouncing back and forth. I'm worshiping God, then I'm stuck in sin. I'm worshiping God, then I'm stuck in sin. You kind of go back and forth and back and forth. And, and here Elijah's calling the people out. He's forcing them to make a decision. You see, what he wants to bring them to the place where they will have to decide which one they're going to follow. And they will have to, in doing that, disregard the other one. It's going to be one or the other. We can't just keep bouncing back and forth. And he makes it very clear. If the Lord's God, then follow God. If Baal's God, if that's what you want to worship, who do you want to worship, then go worship him. But quit living this life of acting like or believing like or assuming maybe publicly I worship Baal, privately I worship God. Quit, quit, quit that nonsense, is in other words, is what he's saying. You need to pick a side, that you, pick, a, pick a God that you're going to worship and worship. And he's really calling them to make this decision to bring them this to this place. Notice what the people answered him. What did they say? They said, oh, you're right, Elijah, we're going to worship God of, you know, God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac. And that's not what he said. They said, but the people answered him not a word. No objection, but no repentance. No objection. They didn't say you were wrong, Elijah. No, no, you're wrong. We have a God we're worshiping. We're, we're, they, they didn't, they didn't, he, he, he's right on. You ever get that feeling where someone says something that just convicts you and you go, oh, I can't answer that. I, I don't know what to, there's, there's no objection, but there's also no repentance there. It's, it's just a matter of silence. What do, you, what do you have to say for yourself? Nothing. Not going to say a word. Not going to say a word. So then verse 22, Elijah, he said to the people, I alone am left the prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Was Elijah the only prophet of the Lord left? No. Was he the only prophet of the Lord here? More than likely. That's probably what he's referring to. Let's not be too hard on him. But he, we, he knows, we know that he just met Obadiah, and Obadiah told him, hey, I've saved 100 prophets of the Lord in a cave, 50 to a cave. I've fed them with bread and water. We know that from, last, from the study previously. So he's not the only one, but he's the one standing here. Therefore, verse 23, let them give us two bulls, let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and lay it under the wood, put, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call in the name of your gods, and I'll call in the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, that's well spoken. Good job, let's have a showdown. We're going to have an old-fashioned God showdown. And Elijah says this, listen, you guys, you, you pick two bulls. Notice he's giving them the upper hand at everything. You pick the bulls. You pick the bulls and you cut them up and you build an altar and you put the bull that you want on your altar. I'll put the bull that I want on my altar. No fire. And then we're going to pray to our gods and the God that answers by fire, the God that brings down fire from heaven, he wins. Well, I got to tell you, this has already happened. Gideon saw fire come down from heaven. Solomon at the temple saw fire come down and consume a sacrifice. So it's not a new thing for Elijah. It's, it's, it's happened before. But the people go, yeah, let, that's a good challenge. That'll show us who's the God, who, who really is God. And, then, and we'll pick from there. That's, that's a good idea, Elijah. Let's do that. And uh, he said in verse, uh, where do I get to? 25? Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal. Now can you imagine the way they're looking at each other? Do you think the prophets of Baal like Elijah? No. They can't stand him. Why? 
because he's the one that said there'd be no rain and they're worshiping the rain god or the weather god now again they have probably decided in their mind that that you know the god's mad at them that's why there's no rain they, they certainly wouldn't come to the conclusion that elijah is worshiping the true god uh, that, that would make too much sense but they're they're probably mad i could just imagine the glare coming across them but yet they also believe their god's going to perform this don't they they, 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 they're, they're, not, they're devout men. They're, they're men of prayer. We're going to see what's going on here. Let's look. He says, choose one bull for yourselves. Again, he gives them the upper hand. And prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Verse 26, so they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it. And they called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us but there was no voice no one answered then they leaped about the altar which they had made so do you see what's taking place they did what elijah said they cut up the bull they put it on the altar they got into their prayer circle or however they did it and they began to pray oh baal hear us from morning until evening or till noon probably from nine till around 12 they're praying three hours the people what are the people doing in all this they're watching. What's going on? I don't see any fire. Do you see any fire coming down? I don't see anything. You see anything? Nothing happening yet. They're watching this take place. And then it says, but there was no voice and no one answered. That's the reaction of a false god. There's no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about, which means they jumped about. They were running about the altar which they had made. They're, they're, they've gone from being still to being leaping and running and jumping. And, and it was so at noon. Look at I like this. This is funny. At, at, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them. He mocked them. He starts making fun of them. You guys have been praying for three hours. Nothing's happening. And he said, cry aloud. You know what that means? Cry a little bit. Maybe he can't hear you. Cry a little bit louder to your God. Cry aloud. Go ahead. Come on. Come on. A little bit louder. For he is God. He's, maybe he's, he, either he is meditating or he is busy. Maybe God's busy meditating. Maybe he's busy. Now, we don't get the full impact of what that might mean. Many Bible scholars suggest that the original Hebrew there suggests that, that Elijah is suggesting that there, maybe their God is in the bathroom. <laughs> That's what it really means. Maybe your God's in the bathroom. Maybe he's on the toilet. You've got to yell louder. <laughs> Can't just, whoever says God doesn't have a sense of humor is funny. I mean, it's great. He can't hear you. You've got to yell. Maybe he's busy. He's meditating. Look at the next one. Maybe he's on a journey. Your God's on vacation. He can't hear you. You've got, you got Come on, pick it up, guys. He, maybe he, he'll be back next week. Or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. Yell a little bit louder. Wake him up. Come on, keep going. And here's Elijah. Now, do you think they like him? No, they don't like him at all. But yet they're, they're stuck in this. Verse 28, so they cried aloud and they cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. What extremes they are going to to try to appease a God that they've created in their mind. 
a God that doesn't even exist that they are worshiping. They've gone so far as they've accepted the challenge. They believe they can win the challenge. They've danced around. They've, 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 they've heard the ridicule of Elijah, and now they're actually physically cutting themselves. They're harming themselves, trying to get attention to the, of this God, Baal, who doesn't really exist. Would you say that these men are devoted? Sure, they're devoted. Would you say that they're zealous? Sure, they're zealous. Would you say they're passionate? Sure, they're passionate. But all of those things don't necessarily mean that what they're doing is true. And what they're lacking is the knowledge of the true God. You see, it's possible to be devoted and passionate and zealous for something that doesn't even exist or for something that's false. What they lack is the truth and the knowledge of the living God. They're zealous. They're passionate. They have all, they're doing it. They're, they're, they're crying out. Hours. and How long would you have to cry out before nothing happened? How much ridicule would you have to take? Let's get the knife. Let's cut ourselves. That's a great idea. Let's try that. I mean, how far would you be willing to go? They're crying out. Verse 29, and when midday was past, midday was past. That's probably getting later, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, somewhere in that range, you know, somewhere later, early, you know, later afternoon. When midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Most people think it's around 3 o'clock. Some suspect it's on into the evening. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. One of the characteristics of a false god is right there. There's no voice. There's no answer. There's no response. You can pray all you want. You can ask all you want, but you never get a response. Praise the Lord that when we go to the Lord, he will speak to us. How does he speak to us? Through his word is the first and foremost way that he's going to speak to you. He will never tell you anything contrary or contradicts the Bible, the word of God. But praise the Lord that we can gather in prayer, whether we do it corporately or individually, and expect and plan to hear from the Lord. It doesn't mean that he's going to speak to you every time you want him to speak to you. But his heart is that he will speak to you because he wants you to know his will. He wants you to know things about him. He wants you to draw closer to him. They're worshiping this God that doesn't even exist. They've created him in, his, in their mind. Now, we might look at that and say, well, that's kind of dumb. Why would they worship a God named Baal? Why, why would, I mean, you'd have to give it a cooler name or something like that, right? Why would they worship a God with a lightning bolt or, well, you know, the power that they can see? But here's what I think. I made the parallel earlier on. I said that sometimes as Christians, how long will you falter between two opinions? We have Christians that are doing that same thing. There are some Christians, we are solid. We know the Lord. We know, we know we're worshiping the God of the Bible. And there are other people who go, you know, oh, it's not for me. I'm not worshiping the God of the Bible. But there are other people who think they're worshiping the God of the Bible, and they're not. They're worshiping a made-up God in their own head. Let me say it again. There are some people who are solid, and we are worshiping the God of the Bible. And there are others who are, think they're worshiping the God of the Bible. But instead, what they're worshiping is who they think the God of the Bible really is and what they want him to do. And they begin to make this image up in their mind of who God is and what God should be like and what God should do and what he should do for them and what he should act like. And that's who they actually become worshiping and they're not actually worshiping the God of the Bible. In other words, what happens, you'll find these people oftentimes when they're, they're, they're in contradiction to the Bible sometimes, they're they're. When God doesn't do what they want them to do, they will reject God and go find something else to worship or set something else up. But the, the, the idea is that as Christians, our worship of God is not a God that we make up in our mind. It is the God of scriptures. It is the God of the Bible. And I am concerned that there are many times and many people 
who think they're worshiping the God of the Bible just because they're going to a church or maybe they're part, they have Christian friends or maybe they're you know, in, in a Christian group or a Christian organization. The question that we have to ask ourselves individually is who are you worshiping? Who are, what is it that you worship? What is it that you devote your time to? What is it that you devote your, your money to, your, your resources, your gifts to? What, you want to find out what you're worshiping, find out, find out who you're worshiping, find out where, you're, where, you're, where, you're, where your time, where your treasure, and where your talents are going. Where are you giving your money? Where are you giving the treasures, the talents that God's giving you? And where, where, where are you, what are you doing with those things? It's often been said you can find out what they're worshiping by looking at somebody's checkbook. Find out where the, where the majority of their money's going. How much is going for me and how much is going for the Lord? How much is going for pleasure and how much is going for ministry? You know, this is not a tithing message, but it's, it is a message about being careful that we are worshiping the true God and we are not faltering between, uh, between two opinions. We're not, we're not bouncing back and forth. I think that we need to make sure that we are on the right path because Jesus said that the path is narrow and there are few who find it. And I think that means there's a lot of people who think they're on the path and they're not. And Elijah's calling them out here. We have this group of people who, they're not, they're not doubting, they're not, they're not saying there is no God of the Bible or God, Jehovah God or Yahweh God. They're just, they think they're worshiping him. They're confused by it all. And here Elijah's calling them out and he's, the, the prophets of Baal, well, they've had their day. They've gone through the, to the early, to the evening sacrifice and what's happened? Nothing. Nothing's happened. Well, now it's Elijah's turn. Notice what it says. Verse 30. Then Elisha said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Why would he say, come near to me? Because by the early afternoon, their people are done watching. I mean, who wants to sit there and watch these guys cut themselves? Who wants to see them watch around, dance around, you know, like a, like a bunch of fools? Again, it might be entertaining for a while, but as the hours click by, you're going to... Come on already, they're having little conversations. And Elijah says, no, no, everybody come back. Come on back. Everybody come back to me. Come on, everybody come back. Those that fell asleep, wake up. And it says, he rebuilt the altar of the Lord. Verse 32, then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seas of seed. That's about a quarter bushel uh, from one place I read. Notice he took 12 stones. Why 12 stones? 12 tribes of Israel, right? But I thought Israel was split. No, no. Not in God's eyes. In man's eyes, it's been split. It might be being ruled by two different kings, but it's still 12 tribes of Israel. So Elijah takes 12 stones and he builds the altar in verse 33. He put the wood in order. He cut the bull in pieces. He laid it on the wood and he said, fill your water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. What? We're supposed to make a fire here, Elijah. We all know that you can't light wet wood. We, we know, that's not a good idea. No, no, Elijah goes, I want you to understand something. Elijah would be, I think he would say, I let them go first. This is like sudden death. What would have happened if fire would have come down out of heaven? Would Elijah have had a chance? No, the game would have been over. The, 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 it would have been done. If, if Baal had brought down fire from heaven, that would have been done. Elijah, I'll let you go first. And now I want to make sure that you know that there's no trickery here. There's no deceit going on. Go get your water pots. Go get four water pots full of water. And I want you to dump them all over everything. I want you to understand. I want you to make, to make it clear. Go get your four water pots. And he does that. And in verse 34, he said, do it a second time. I did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. I did it a third time. 
Well, what's with the numbers, Rob? Everyone wants to know, how, why did he do it three times? Well, some people, maybe it's the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's four water pots he filled up three times. That's 12 buckets of water. Maybe it's the 12 tribes of Israel. Who knows? But whatever it is, he wanted to make sure that that sacrifice, that bull, and that wood was good and wet. He wanted there to be no doubt that that was wet and there was nothing funny happening here. And he tells us in verse 35, so the water, the water ran all around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Notice, were they do, still doing the evening sacrifices in, in Israel at this point? No. Ju- Judah they were. You know, it was still happening down at the temple, or should have been. But Elijah's still following God's plan of worship. At the same time, about the same time, uh, the evening sacrifices. Then uh, Elijah the prophet came near, and he said, Lord... God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. It doesn't say Jacob. Remember, Jacob had his name changed to Israel. Israel means governed by God. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. And I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. This is important. He says, God, I want you to let everybody know that you're still the God of Israel. I want you to let everybody know that what I've done, I've done at your word. It's not my idea. It's not like he got the bright idea. Elijah got the bright idea. Let's just have an old-fashioned showdown between gods. Elijah said, the Lord showed Elijah to do this. The Lord has led Elijah to do this. It's the will of God that Elijah do this. And he wants to make sure that we understand that. I've done it all at your word. Verse 37, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And verse 38, and the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Well, I think it's pretty clear who won that battle, isn't it? Elijah only had to say a few lines. He didn't have to spend hours petitioning. He didn't have to cut himself. He just simply asked the Lord to show the people who was, that he was still the God of Israel, to show them that he had turned their, their hearts back to him, and to show them that he was being led by the Lord, and poof, out of heaven comes, I don't know what it looked like, but I'm sure it was amazing. I'm sure as those people caused them to fall, what would you have to see to cause you to fall on your face and worship God? You ever been to the, like, the Japanese restaurant up at the mall where they do the little fire thing and you're like, ooh, that's hot. I bet it was worse than that. I bet they were backing up. I bet they were, I, I'm sure eyelashes were burned off. You know, I bet it came out of the sky hot. That's just my opinion. And it caused all the people to fall on their face. Fall on their face and worship God. I love that position of worship. I, I, I love it. I, I, if I will, I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you have never fallen on your fall, falled, if you've never fallen on your face in worship of the Lord, I encourage you to go home, pray, fall on your face, and worship God privately in your prayer closet someday. I encourage you to do that. It's a, it's an act of worship that you are total surrender to the Lord. You know, don't make a big deal. Don't tell everyone you're doing it. Just go do it. Go spend some time on your face before the Lord. It's a great place to be. These people are driven to their face. They're probably in fear. They saw it, they fell on their faces, they said, Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. 
And what does Elijah say to him? Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and he executed them there. He executed them. He killed all 450 prophets of Baal there. You know, Rob, that's kind of violent. But I think God's message was clear. It's, let's get out those things. Let's get rid of those things that aren't from me. Let's, let, let's, let's, let, let's make it clear so there's no, no more bouncing back and forth. Let's make it clear that we're going to make a decision on who to serve today. You know, the sad thing is, is although the people fell on their face to worship God, if you notice what they said, they said, the Lord, he is God. They never said he is our God. He is my God. They declared him as God. They declared him winner. They crowned him victorious in the battles against uh, Baal. But they never declared him their God. They never did. And it's going to be sad for the nation of Israel. So Elisha slays all the prophets of Baal. Now, how, he, he's got to be like, man, the Lord's using me. I called down fire from heaven. I mean, I just killed all the prophets of Baal. I mean, he's just, he's just it, I mean, he's got to be on like cloud nine with the Lord using him here. He says to, uh, look what he says to uh, Ahab in verse 41. Then Elisha said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink. For there is the sound of abundance of rain. So here's Ahab. What's he thinking during all this? Uh-oh. You know what he's thinking? How am I going to explain this to my wife? That's what he's thinking. I got to go home and tell my wife that our prophets, we, we just lost in a big way. But Elijah says, you know what? The drought's over, Ahab. How could he say that? Because he knew God had done what he was going to do. Because he was following the will of God. He knew that the drought was over because he was going to go pray for the rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed down on the ground, and he put his face between his knees. Now, one of the cool places that we're going to go in Israel when we get there is up to Mount Carmel. And when you stand on Mount Carmel, if you look behind you um, to the west, you'll see it's right on the borders of the Mediterranean Sea, so you look out over the Mediterranean from a very high vantage point. If you look to the east, you see the Jezreel Valley and, uh, and Megiddo and, and some other areas. It's, it's a fantastic place to be. Now, we don't know exactly where it took place on Mount Carmel. It's a rather big place, but they have a, a site set up there where you can kind of go and get the idea that they're pretty high up when this is taking place. It's a place that we're going to visit, and, it's, and we'll probably read this, this, uh, this, this same area of Scripture while we're there. So he tells Ahab, go on home. Go home, eat, and drink. That's what you want to do anyways. Go ahead, go home, eat and drink. The, the, uh, the rain's over. Ahab goes back to eating and drinking. Where does Elijah go? Back to prayer. He goes up to the top and he, goes, he puts his face between his knees. So you can, he's kind of curled up like a ball. It's, 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 uh, it's a little odd, but, it, but he's kind of curled up like a ball. And, and I just want to make sure that you understand the power of prayer is not in the position or the posture of prayer. The power of prayer is the person is, is the one you're praying to. Okay, the power, you know, I challenge you to pray on your face or even, in, you, know, you know, prostrate before the Lord at times in your life when that's necessary. But that position doesn't carry the power. What the power carries, it's a position of humility before the one that you're praying to. The power is God, Jesus Christ. He holds the power. That's where the power comes from. There's no secret uh, uh, way of doing it. It's just a, it's, it's, it's an ultimate position of humility before the Lord. When you're, you know, no difference than they would bow before a king when a king would come by. It's us bowing before the Lord in, in that way. Sometimes in the scriptures they're praying standing with arms open. Sometimes it's on 
on the ground in different places, but the power is in who you're praying to, not in the position or the posture of your prayer. So he goes up, he puts his face between his knees. He said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. So he went up and he looked and he said, there's nothing. And seven times he said, go again. How many times do you keep praying for the very thing that is God's will? You know, notice that here's Elijah. He goes to the top. He's had this tremendous victory. He gets down on his, on his knees. He's got his head between his knees. He says, all right, he tells the servant, go look at the sea. See what you see. And the servant goes out and he looks and he goes, comes back. He goes, I don't see anything. He goes, all right, go again. The servant goes again. He looks. Well, I don't see anything. At what point do you quit? Do you do three times? Four times? Five times? Six times? Do you think God wants us to keep praying? Notice what he's praying for. He's praying for the will of God. This is God's will, remember. It's not, it's not, about, it's not about forcing our will on God. You don't repetitively pray to force your will. It's been well said that prayer is, getting, is, is, prayer is, is praying to get God's will accomplished on earth, not to get man's will accomplished in heaven. And I forget who said that, but it just came to my mind. And, and it's, it's, we're not praying to force our will. God, I want you to give me that job. I want you to give me that house. I want you to give me that relationship. I want you to fix this problem. That's not what it is. It's, God, I want your will. Now, Elijah already knows because of what he's just seen that the will of God is going to be for it to reign because of, he just proved that he was the living God. And by the way, all of his early preparation of wandering and sitting by the brook and the brook drying up and going to see the widow, this is all preparation because what he did there on Mount Carmel took faith, didn't it? Where did he get the faith to do it? In the previous steps of preparation. That's where he, that's where he learned how to, how to do this, how to walk with the Lord and wait on the next step. And now he's up there praying seven times on the seventh time. You gotta, how do you think the servant's feeling? Look, Elijah, you know, I know you, you already told Ahab there's rain coming, but I just don't see it, buddy. Go again. Go again. He puts his head back down. He prays again. And it says here, and it came to pass the seventh time, he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up and go tell Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. In other words, he says, you go tell Ahab, that that little cloud out there is going to make so much rain, you're going to get stuck in the mud if you don't get out of here now. Because you tell Ahab to saddle up his horse and get his chariot ready to go. It's time to go because he's going to get stuck in the mud. Now it happened in the meantime, the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Verse 46, And the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. He girded up his loins, pulled up his, his robe, is what it means, and he ran, ran. What was, what was Ahab driving? The chariot. He ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So somehow the Lord comes across Elijah supernaturally. He becomes a cross-country runner. How far did he run? About 14 miles. About 14 miles from, from Mount Carmel to Jezreel, approximately, since we don't know the exact, exact spot. So here's Elijah making good time, better than the horse and the chariot for the next 14 miles because he had to get to Jezreel first. Now, why did he have to get to Jezreel first? Why was the purpose of it? Well, we're going to find out that Jezebel was there and he's going to ha- she's going to have some things to say to Elijah. But I think we're going to stop there tonight. I think we'll pick up uh, in chapter 19 next week. Here's what I want to close with. A uh, couple of thoughts Elijah, when he approached the people, he wanted to 
bring them to a position of decision. And he insisted there was a distinction between the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel and Baal. Because their mind had muddied the waters. Their culture had said there wasn't. Much of what our culture says, that, ah, it's, it's just my God. It's just, you worship the way that you worship, I'll worship the way that I'll worship, and we'll, it'll just all works out together. That Kind of that universalist mentality. And, and Elijah said, no. There's a difference between the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel than the God of Baal. And he brought them to a place where they had to account for their time. Notice what he said back there in the beginning. How long will you falter? In other words, you've been faltering for a long time. There's been no rain for three years. So at bare minimum, I've told you three years ago it wasn't going to rain. You've been faltering for at least three years, probably a lot longer than that. He brings them to the place where there's a decision. And he says, how long will you falter between the two opinions? In other words, you're on the fence. It's time to get off the fence. It's time to not bounce back and forth between two lifestyles or between two opinions. It's time to quit being like a bird bouncing from limb to limb or somebody who's standing from one leg to the next. Pick a side and go with it. If it's God, if God of the Bible is your God, then serve him wholeheartedly for the rest of your life. If it's not, check out. Go serve whatever you want so that at least you can fail and come back to him someday. You see, he's really describing the lukewarm Christian, isn't he? The lukewarm person. How did Elijah know they weren't serving God? How did he know? Because he looked at their lifestyle. It wasn't what they said. Because I believe they would have said, no, no, we're serving God. But instead, Elijah took a look at their lifestyle and said, yeah, but you're going to the temple of Baal. Yeah, but you're, you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. Yeah, but you're, you're going down, you're, you're stuck in this thing, you're... You see, he just looked at our lifestyle. Wouldn't that be a good indication of who we're serving? You see, it's my prayer that each of us would make the decision to serve the God of the Bible for the rest of your life. And in doing so, that means you have to say goodbye to some things in your life. And that means that the Lord will bring you from time to time to places of decision where you have to look and say, you know what? This is contrary to what God says in the Bible, and I can no longer live serving both of these, and I'm going to have to say goodbye to one of these. And I pray that even tonight as I talk about this, that some of your hearts would be stirred because I know that, that all the things that God has removed from my life, and by the way, he's not done yet. He still continues to remove things from my life, and I still continue to seek him on a regular basis. Lord, search my heart. You know, is there anything evil in me that needs to be removed? You see, because I don't want to be that person that's faltering between two opinions. I want to be the one that's serving the God of the Bible, the Jehovah God the God of Israel, Jesus Christ. I want to be the one that serving, I want my life to be serving him alone and nothing or nobody else. But yet I also understand that we live in a world where we're being pulled and where compromise abounds and where it's easy to rationalize and justify the little, the little uh, decisions that we make. And I think that sometimes when I come across the scripture like this and, and for me and as well as for you, it's time to take account of where are we, who are we serving. What are we doing? And we need to say, Lord, is there something in my life that is contrary to you? Am I like the bird bouncing from tree to limb to tree limb? Is there something that I need to say goodbye to so that I can be walking closer with you? You see, they're called to a place of decision. And I would say the same thing. How long will you falter? How many sermons do you have to hear? How many messages do you have to listen to? How many times do you have to come to church? How many times does the Holy Spirit have to prompt you before you say goodbye to that thing? Mm 
How long will you falter between two opinions, between two things? If you want to serve the God of the Bible, serve him. He's given you the power to overcome anything that would keep you from him. But yet that's a decision that we have to make in our own heart. So as we close this message tonight, I would ask the question, hopefully you're not faltering. But if you are, how long will you falter? Would tonight be the night that you would serve the God that created you? The God that has the perfect plan for you? The God that can call fire out of heaven? Or do you want to continue serving the God that wants to destroy you? Or do you want to continue serving the God that wants to pull you away from what is good and what is right? Do you want to serve a God who you can hear from, who will lead you and guide you, who will speak to you? Or do you want to hear a God that says nothing, that's silent, that pulls you into some sort of preconceived idea of pleasure or something and only to leave you bankrupt and empty, to where you call upon his name, there's nothing that comes back from him? Or do you want the God that says, when you call upon his name, you know that he's right there with you? He's written a book for you to direct you through life. He's given you example after example. For me, I want to serve the God of the Bible. Take a moment and pray. Father, we just come before you. Lord, as followers of you, we still live in this world. And we know that we're constantly being bombarded with things that are evil, things that want to pull us away from you. Ideas, thoughts, Facebook posts, tweets, movies, TV shows, friends, relatives, family. Lord, oftentimes it's in those very things that they pull us away. But Lord, if we're faltering here tonight, if there's someone here among us that is, needs to make this decision, I pray they would see the good that lies in serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that demonstrated his love for them on the cross the God that's gone before them and promises them hope, joy, peace. Lord, I pray that you would reveal the tactics of the enemy and we would no longer buy into the lies of Baal or whatever you want to call it. We would no longer try to hear a God that can't answer us. So take a few moments. Go before the Lord on your own and see what he might say to your heart tonight.